Business Minds, presented by the Florida Business Journals, and brought to you by Tico People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy. Small businesses are in the spotlight as Orlando Business Journal editor Cindy Barth invites a national SBA expert and advocate to share perspective on the pandemic and an economic outlook. So joining me today is Chris Hearn, CEO of Fountainhead, a Lake Mary-based company and one of the nation's top SBA, 7A, and 504 non-bank lenders. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me, Cindy. For those uh, in our audience today who may not be completely familiar with Fountainhead, can you share just a little bit more about your company and what it does? Sure, sure. Yeah, we, we're a nationwide direct lender uh, just for small business owners. And so we help with growth financing uh, through the SBA 7A loan program. Um, we also help with wealth creation with the SBA's 504 loan program where we're financing commercial real estate. Most of our transactions are uh, business acquisitions, working capital, you know, business debt consolidation, refinancing, just a variety of different things with those two core programs. And of course, we participated a lot in the Paycheck Protection Program of the last two years as well, uh, even though that's done now. Great. Well, I know that you have uh, been well known for your advocacy on behalf of small businesses. What spurred your particular interest in that specific area of business? Uh, I think it was, Cindy, I, I'm sort of a longtime entrepreneur myself. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My mother actually was a chocolatier when I was a kid, uh, little known fact, probably violated all sorts of code because she made the chocolates in her house and we would go out and sell them at, at fairs and, and you know uh, farmer's markets and things like that. So I learned a little bit about uh, mass production, assembly line, uh, sales and marketing, you know, and this is in my you know, ages, say, 7 to 12 range, something like that. But I've had several other businesses from when I was a kid. Uh, you know, one, I used to sell T-shirt, custom T-shirts, uh, did that in college as well. I don't know. My mother became a real estate agent, and I recall at 13 helping her pass the exam, and I think that kind of spurred my interest in, in real estate, which isn't too far from having an interest in finance because most real estate is financed. It's not oftentimes paid for in cash, whether it's residential or commercial. Went to graduate school and you know learned a lot about financing, corporate financing, accounting, things like that. So I don't know, it just kind of has all come together, Cindy. You know, we, we go down a path and hopefully we can, you know, it's a good niche and uh, you, know, you can do the right things. And over a matter of decades, you, you build up a pretty good reputation. And I think that's what we've done. Well, I know that you had a major role in encouraging the Federal Reserve to allow non-bank lenders to participate in the Paycheck Protection Program. How did you make that happen? Well, it's, it's an interesting story. I was um, you know, in the middle of the, the chaos of March and April of 2020. There was uh, a provision, I think it was in an, an IFR, an interim final rule, that talked about how the Federal Reserve was going to create a... Um, Paycheck Protection Program Liquidity Facility, a PBPLF. And the point of that was to allow uh, lenders, whether the depository institutions or non-depository institutions like us, to borrow at the, the Fed's window, um, you know, provide a source of liquidity because, you know, ultimately this was an over $800 billion program and there's just not that much liquidity out there without the Fed's help. Even, even for depository institutions, you can't just expect to use all of your deposits making PPP loans. So, 
I was <laughs> the only the only self care I did much during PPP was I would try to uh, try to jump in the sauna first thing in the morning, and that's where I would catch up on a little bit of reading. And I happened to be reading, believe it or not, a uh, ABA American Bankers Association white paper about you know borrowing from the Fed. And there was a couple sentences in there near the back that would talk about that in uh, cases of you know like a, a crop shortage or um, you know some some systemic event that the Federal Reserve's charter allowed it to extend credit to non banks, non depository institutions. And so I kind of seized on that. And of course, roughly the same time, the Federal Reserve had issued a statement about how they were going to first you know make availability to the PPPLF to depository institutions and eventually would get to non-depositories. And so, you know, that just set me off on a, on a whole nother path of, you know, lobbying and educating and encouraging um, the Fed to hurry up and get this done. And I think they ultimately got it done in late April or early May of 2020. My, my times kind of blur during that period of time, but they did come out with it about a month after they did it, started it for depository institutions. And, but there was a lot of education on their behalf and even on our behalf uh, we worked very closely with them. I actually worked with the Minneapolis Fed. That's who um, was designated to a firm like us. There was two other Federal Reserve districts that also worked with other types of non-bank lenders. But um, you know, it was a very, very smooth process. I was very impressed with the public servants who work at the Fed. Couldn't have been happier with it. And it, it really allowed for PPP to basically flow much more smoothly from May onward. And then, of course, um, back in 2021, we also were able to utilize it. And again, it, it was able to allow the lending community to push a lot of funds out to help a lot of small businesses that probably would have struggled otherwise if we, if we wouldn't have been able to tap the Fed's resources. If I remember correctly, I believe that you had mentioned uh, in some previous conversations with uh, Orlando Business Journal that your company was extensively involved in, in handling loans during that time period. What kind of activity did you see? Did that happen just immediately? Uh, was it kind of a growing thing or it just straight out of the chute? It was pretty straight out of the shoot, Cindy. Um, you might recall I, I did a lot of a lot of media back in the early days in March of 2020 and even into April of 2020. And yeah, we had more demand than we had supply, so to speak. Um, frankly, everyone in the lending community was in that boat. Everybody, there was just a huge pent up demand from business owners throughout the country, mostly because there was just so much uncertainty at that time. We didn't know, you know, when when the shoe was going to drop or was there going to be another one around the corner or what have you. So um, it was a very frantic, uh, stressful, panicky, hysterical time for, for a lot of folks. And yeah, we just, uh, and unfortunately, some of that actually made the process even worse because there's only so much that anybody in the lending community can handle in terms of when people are coming at you like that. So um, but you know we were we were honored and privileged to participate. Um, we really feel like we played an important role in helping to stabilize the economy. Um, it's something that no one had ever experienced before, particularly the commercial lending community. Nobody'd seen anything like this before. Most of us never even bothered to look at you know certain uh, eligibility criteria for PPP loans like like payroll reports and you know nine forties and nine forty one. Uh, things like that that's just not normal in commercial lending. So it was it was a different time. It was um, you know the regulations were coming at us fast and furious, oftentimes every other day or once a week. And uh, you know as a as a profession we tend to be a little more conservative and a very analytical, and uh, we like certainty. And obviously 
there was anything but certainty during that time. So it, it, it did cause, um, like I said, a lot of unnecessary stress. Most people were working ridiculous hours, uh, seven days a week for months at a time. That was certainly the case for most of my company. But yeah, it was, like I said, I, I do think at, at the end, we really feel like we, we helped save a lot of folks. Uh, we've had thousands of wonderful reviews online and, and letters and emails and, and all sorts of stuff of people that are so grateful for what we did. And, and like I said, we're, we're really honored that we were able to participate. We, we made almost 300,000 PPP loans. So in 2021, we were the sixth most active in the nation. And we were by far the largest PPP lender in Central Florida. Well, now that we're about two years uh, past the PPP launch, what were some of the biggest lessons that you feel like you learned uh, personally throughout this time? Well, I think one of the biggest lessons we learned was when you are driven by a mission, it really makes a big difference. And, and you know, you can't expect necessarily to have um, such a profound mission in the regular course of business during regular times. We certainly feel like we do to some extent, which is, you know, we like to help business owners grow their business and we, we like to help them, you know, finance assets, which will hopefully increase prosperity for themselves and for their employees and, and everything else. But when a time of crisis like this, um, you know, it's almost a different leadership mentality and it's, uh, you know, we, we elevated the mission substantially, you know, as I was saying something uh, to someone within the last week or two, you know, it's, it, it can't be just about compensation when you're in a situation like this. It's, you, you have to have a, a higher purpose that you're focused on. And, and that was the case for us. Um, I communicated with my team on a daily basis, one-on-one, in addition to we, we would have daily, you know, all staff calls and things like that. Um, and I think that was a way to keep morale going, you know, because this was a really grueling, all-consuming time for us. Um, so I think that was one big lesson, you know, having a, having a higher mission, higher calling, uh, which we, we felt like we did and then reinforcing that regularly. Um, I think that was a, you know, and having that level of communication that maybe again, you don't have during regular time because, you know, people know, people know what they're supposed to do and you check in and make sure that they're, they're doing what they're supposed to do. But, you know, it's very different than in a time of, you know, economic war almost is what we, we felt like we were on the front lines of an economic war. And, and during those times, people need assurance. They, you know, they need a sounding board. They need to, uh, you know, offload some of the, some of the stress they've got, you know, things like that. They need to reinforce that they're part of a bigger thing here. And so, you know, I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, I also found if I just buy people, at least one meal a day, they'll, they'll plow through and, and work harder and not have to worry about, you know, going out of the office and going somewhere or what they're going to order or what have you. So that was something we did. Um, we encouraged vacations. That was another lesson um, coming out of the first and second rounds of PPP. We actually sent all of our employees uh, a nice vacation gift card and encouraged them to use it and go on a vacation and, and you know, tell us where they're going and what they did and that sort of thing. So, and it was a, you know, four figure vacation card. So not insignificant. Um, but you know, things like that, those are some of the lessons I've learned. Um, I think it's, again, when you're so focused on something, you can pivot the business very quickly. Um, and that's what we did. And of course we've slowly pivoted back away from PPP. The only thing we're doing with PPP these days is, is uh, dealing with forgiveness. And we're, you know, last time I checked last week, I think we're up to about 84, 85% of all 
the PPP loans we did have already been forgiven. So, um, and this last 15% are, are going to be the toughest, Cindy, because they're just, there's a lot of apathy out there for some reason. I'm not sure why. And, um, you know, we're trying everything we can to, to encourage these folks to, to get it forgiven. But um, it's somewhat, somewhat like pulling teeth a little bit. But those are some of the lessons I would say that I've learned during this process. I had uh, read something the other day that was talking about the forgiveness uh, of the loans process may go all the way into next year. Are you anticipating that that, that may be the case with some of the loans that you uh, handled? Oh yeah, no, it's it's going to be the case for everybody who participated, you know, from the lending community side. Yeah, because you just have to look at the calendar. I mean, these are the third round of PPP loans, which were the ones that were made in 2021. So most of the earliest PPP loan that could have been made in 2021 was in January. Most of them were in February, March, April, and May. And so the borrowers have uh, up to 16 months of deferment for making any payments. And if you just, you know, look at the calendar, move ahead, the, um, the January, February, 2021 loans are coming up for the end of their deferment period. And the lending community has to actually, per SBA's regs, we have to actually send a monthly statement uh, for repayment if they haven't gotten their loan forgiven for principal and interest repayment. And if that borrower does not respond within two months, so the first two statements, they've got um, us in the lending committee, we've got 15 days. We have to wait just to see if maybe they respond some more. Um, and finally, if they don't, so 75 days after uh, that, that first one was due, we actually submit to SBA for what's called a guarantee purchase. So the SBA actually purchased this loan from us because these loans have 100% government guarantee on them. And then they become the SBA's concern. Um, in most cases, yes, somebody at SBA or if they're going to outsource this to another arm of the government's going to, you know, contact these po folks or try to get all these folks and try to find out what happened and why they didn't repay the loan, why they got the loan in the first place, was it actually eligible in the first place, you know, was there elements of fraud involved, things like that. So what I'm expecting though is basically September, October, November, December is when, you know, these months lay out, February, March, April, May of, of 2021 loans. So, um, and then you add that 75 days and yeah, we figure the last loan, PPP loan that we'll submit for guarantee purchase will probably be in January of 2023. And uh, then we should be done. But um, like I said, it's this last slug of borrowers, which is which is gonna be the toughest. And, and it's a lot of effort. Um, it, it takes more time than it probably should for lenders to fill in correctly everything that needs to happen with a guarantee purchase and then to submit it to SBA. And then it takes, you know, it takes an experienced lender probably a good 15 to 20 minutes to do that. And then on the other side, probably takes SBA uh, staff about 15 to 20 minutes for these as well. And there's going to be well over a million of these. So it's, it's, um, it's another bit of a nightmare that's coming that I've, I've been pretty vocal about. And I've given some suggestions to folks at SBA on how to, how to streamline this a little bit more. Um, they haven't, they haven't come out with it yet. I um, still have my fingers crossed that they will, because it's just a lot of time and effort at the very end of this program when everybody kind of wants to put it in the rearview mirror. We heard uh, here at Orlando Business Journal many anecdotes from local businesses that were able to take advantage of the PPP loans, just how much that meant to them as far as business. Any particular anecdotes stand out in your mind from those that you made loans to uh, as far as how it affected their business? Well, I mean, 
there's a lot of a lot of standouts, Cindy. I mean, the, the reality is the feedback I've gotten is almost uniformly positive. It, it, it's really, you know, it's take your pick. It's people telling us, you know, how we helped save their business, how we allowed them to put bread and, you know, food on the table, how we helped them, uh, you know, retain their staff, their employees were nervous, you know, and just kind of help steady the ship a little bit during a time period that was, you know, is awful for all of us. You know, most of us didn't know if we were going to catch the virus or not, or if we did catch it, if we were going to survive. I mean, nobody really knew if you go back to March, April, May of 2020, it was, it was a pretty uh, terrifying time frame. So to get much needed funds to help stabilize the business, um, you know, to keep making sure people were employed and, and, you know, fed and clothed and things like that. I mean, it was a, it was a big ordeal. And, um, you know, like I said, people are extremely grateful and, uh, you know, there's, there's always some negatives out there. You know, they, they're irritated that maybe they didn't get the funding fast enough or, you know, they weren't eligible for a larger loan or what have you. And oftentimes I'll say, well, you know, I may have helped influence the law to come into existence, but I certainly didn't write the law. And I can't, you know, for you, I can't change the eligibility standards just for one borrower because they're upset they didn't get a bigger loan. Um, And in terms of the timing, you know, we moved as fast as we could. I mean, I I don't know too many other businesses that were working, you know, 18 hour days, seven days a week for months at a time. And that's, that's really what we were doing. So, Nobody can click their heels together and just make the funding happen overnight. But unfortunately, some expectations were set like that. And it was, uh, it was a little irritating and, you know, soured a lot of people. But like I said, I'd, I'd rather focus on the positives. And it, it's been uniformly positive, everything that we've heard, it's, which is great. Because it really just uh, resonates well with us and, and my team that, again, what I was telling them in the early days, they might have thought I was a little crazy. Uh, you know, roll their eyes at me or what have you. But here we are almost two years later, as you said, and, you know, they know what they accomplished. They know how big of a, a role they played and how historic this whole thing was. Chris Hearn joining us. In our next segment, he takes the temperature of Central Florida's small business community as Florida Business Minds continues. People's Gas, at the heart of Florida's energy, committed to being a leader in Florida's economic growth and to delivering clean and efficient natural gas solutions in a responsible way. More at floridasenergy.com. Well, let's shift gears just a little bit and talk about Central Florida in general as far as our entrepreneurial ecosystem. We're fairly well known for having a vibrant and thriving small business community. I'm not sure that we really have a head count yet as far as just how many businesses we may have lost over the last couple of years due to a variety of factors. But what is your general sense of the ecosystem right now here in Central Florida? How healthy is our small business community? Well, my sense is it's pretty healthy. I mean, if you look at some of the national statistics, there's been more business startups occur since the beginning of the pandemic than had occurred on a yearly average. I think I saw back going as far back as 25, 30 years ago. So, which doesn't shock me because, you know, in times of such turbulence, people sort of reassess things and they sort of take stock of, you know, do they want to keep working at a large corporation or even a small corporation or do they want to go off on their own, you know, maybe take that hobby they've had on the sidelines and actually, you know, make a go of it as a real business. 
um, you know, things like that. So I think there's just been a lot of reassessments and, um, now where these businesses go, who knows? I mean, you know, we, it's, it's no secret. There's a, there's a very high failure rate of startups, but the ones that surpass three years or five years, they, they tend to have some staying power. So I, I think we're in a good place. You know, I've been down here almost 25 years myself. And the reason that I came 25 years ago is the same reason people came last week, which is, you know, great climate, great business climate, great taxation climate. I mean, just, you know, the newness of central Florida relative to other places around, around the country. Um, obviously tons of entertainment options, you know, world-class airport, all these different things that we have going for us. And, uh, you know, I, I just think we're going to continue to uh, see some pretty uh, remarkable growth in the state of Florida and in particular central Florida, because again, we can continue growing here, you know, South Florida, they've only got so much land they can grow into, but central Florida, we've got a lot of space and we're seeing more and more people move even from South Florida up to central Florida, which is great. But I think, I think we have our best days ahead of us still, Cindy. I think, I think it's an amazing place to be here. And um, I'm glad to see so many businesses start up here. I'm glad to see so many students stay here and, and try to start their business careers here. I'm glad to see a lot of businesses moving here, um, both large and small businesses. So I just think there's a lot we've got going on right now here in Central Florida. It's, it's pretty exciting times. Well, I am pretty sure that probably most everyone in Central Florida is really unanimously in agreement that we would like to move beyond the pandemic at this point and get back to what feels like more normal operations. Besides For the sure. current uh, issues with inflation and with high gas prices, with supply chain issues still, do you see any other challenges on the near horizon uh, for the remainder of this year or early into next year? Well, I mean, there's energy price issues, commodity price issues. I don't think there's, I don't think enough people have talked about food shortage issues, but I, unfortunately, I believe that's going to come out of, of, of the war um, as it continues. Um, but I do expect inflation is going to moderate later this year. Um, we're already starting to see the beginnings of of diminished demand. We had so much demand, pent-up demand from the pandemic. It's probably a positive that things are starting to uh, slow down a little bit. I mean, those are the big ones. I mean, inflation, rising borrowing costs in terms of interest rates rising, uh, which is meant to fight inflation, of course. We have plenty of supply right now, or in most places, we have plenty of supply, and that's going to put some downward pressure on, on prices now um, because we've been building up inventories for so long. But uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit of a strange environment we find ourselves in right now, but I do expect things to get better um, towards the end of the year. It wouldn't shock me if, if the economy slows down a little bit, which I'm already seeing it, if if the Federal Reserve sort of backs off on some of their, their uh, aggressive rate hike talk. So, and we could get lucky and maybe... Uh, Maybe something is settled in uh, in Eastern Europe, which would uh, which would have a nice positive ripple effect on everybody. But those are the big ones. I mean, there could always be another black swan, of course, Cindy. Nobody saw the pandemic coming two and a half years ago, so you know, it, weird things happen. I saw somebody had a T-shirt on the other day that said, um, "Ever since Prince died, things have been really weird." Something of that effect, and I think uh, <laughs> there's there's probably some truth to some of that. Well, I know that PPP was all-consuming for your company uh, over the past couple of years. Now that you're clear from that, pretty much, with the exception of dealing with some of the loan forgiveness uh, issues, what's your top goal for this year for Fountainhead? Well, we've um, 
you know, we've, we've transitioned back, I'd call it say 95% of our businesses back to focusing on our regular lines of business. My goal for this year is frankly doubling our volume that we had last year. You know, last year, of course, we had some of our attention was diverted into PPP still for a good four or five months of the year. But we had a lot of the staff that was still focused on our regular lines of business. And so for this year, yeah, we're, we're almost exclusively back to normal, quote unquote. And if we can double our volume from last year, I'll be very happy. And, and then uh, my goal is to double again in 2023. We've been very, very fast growing for the last four or five years. So I expect it to continue. And, um, you know, we're still hiring people and uh, we're still seeing lots and lots of deal flow out there. And it's, uh, again, it's pretty exciting times. Well, I would be remiss not to mention the fact that Fountainhead was named to the Inc. 5000 list of fastest growing companies. And so that growth that you're seeing is drawing a lot of attention to the company in all kinds of ways. What's your secret sauce for success? (laughs) I don't think there's a secret sauce. I think... uh, I think too many people um, maybe don't have the discipline to keep going. I think that's, if, if there's any secret, that's it. And I don't think it is a secret. I think, uh, you know, you can't lose if you continue to persist. And, and we've, we've always done that. Personally, I've always done that. So, you know, if there's, and, and I try to keep my folks happy. You know, you, we spend more time with our work family than we do our real families for good or for bad. But, um, you know, I want it to be a, a good environment, a good culture. Um, you know, I try to keep all of our folks busy so that we don't have some of that office drama that unfortunately occurs in a lot of bigger companies or slower moving companies for that matter. So yeah, those are, I guess that's my secret sauce between my old company and this company. I've, I've been on that list six times and we'll be on the list. It'll happen again in August of this year when they announce for the next, which will be pretty exciting. And uh, I wouldn't be shocked if, I think last year we were the second fastest growing company in Central Florida. I wouldn't be shocked if we're the fastest, according to Inc. this coming year. Well, you and your company have been described as thought leaders in your industry and definitely uh, a voice that really advocates for small business and for making sure that small businesses understand how to basically find the financing that they need in order to stay profitable and grow. How does Fountainhead itself stay innovative? Well, I mean, we uh, we try to be very adaptive, and I think all small businesses have to do that. You know, we're, everybody has competitors. You know, my competitors tend to be, you know, household name banks and, uh, you know, some credit unions that participate in business lending. So we have to do things that really differentiate us. Um, a big piece of that is our speed. You know, most people in the financial services industry, particularly commercial lending, are not known for their speed. So that's a big way how we stand out. We know there's a tremendous amount of anxiety from anyone when they go to apply for financing and business owners are no different. So we try to give them an answer very, very quickly. Typically within 24 to 48 hours, we try to approve their loan, which is you know typically weeks, if not months before most of our competitors get to that. We also know what we're financing, Cindy, is it's going to make a very impactful difference in the lives of our business owners. And oftentimes this is the largest a transaction they've been involved with in their lives. So, and they don't know this, how to do, you know, the ins and outs of these things. So they needed a lot of handholding and they need sort of a much higher touch level of service than, uh, than normally you would expect in a lot of endeavors. So that's another thing that we really strive to, to do. Uh, again, it's another thing that differentiates us because not too many people are known for that in the financial services industry. And we're very specialized. We live in a very specialist economy. And I think, 
it's uh, it's very helpful and useful to our customers for us to be so specialized in what we do. We try not to be all things to all people. Some of my competitors do that, and you know, understandably so. I mean, every every management consultant I used to be one of them will uh, will try to encourage their clients to be vertically integrated to try and cross sell and all sorts of different things. But that doesn't mean that uh, necessarily that offer that employee offering those products and services are going to be specialists at it. Oftentimes, they're merely generalists. Their level of knowledge, uh, their you know, the situations they've seen, the scenarios, the experiences they've seen probably doesn't or certainly doesn't uh, rise to the level of someone who's a specialist in that. So it makes a big difference. Um, and I guess the third thing, and by the way, I call these the four S's, speed, service, specialization, and sincerity. That's the, the fourth thing is we're, we're very sincere at what we do. I mean, it's, um, it's another lesson I guess I got out of PPP, which is our people are just so passionate about helping small businesses that that's a level of sincerity you just you just don't hear and, and uh, you don't see it very often in our world. Um, and people can hear it over the phone. You know, they can see it when they read your emails that are just written a little bit differently and personalized and you know things like that. And um, you know, people like to work with people that are genuine and authentic and and really really passionate about what they do. So those are the big ways I think we we stay innovative. And of course. Um, we know we have to continue to grow. We know that we have to do things differently. And so through these lenses of the four S's, we try to continue to innovate. You know, so we've, we've deployed a lot of technology, some of which we learned during PPP, others we were working on prior to it or after it, again, to enhance our speed, to enhance our service. So it's just, there's a lot of things that go involved in this, but you've got to have those fundamental values, I think, to really work from when you're innovative. Well, thanks, Chris, for joining me today for the podcast, and we appreciate your insights and all of the things that you shared with us as far as lessons learned through PPP and what we can look forward to this year. Thanks for having me, Cindy. Fountainhead Commercial Capital founder and CEO Chris Hearn joining us. Thank you for downloading Florida Business Minds, presented by the Florida Business Journals and brought to you by Tico People's Gas at the heart of Florida's energy.